Hi, everyone. Welcome to Consulting with Authority. This is your host, Scott Cantrell, joined today by a good friend and colleague of mine who I've known for a number of years. Uh, This gentleman has been an insurance professional for over five decades. He's now with a major technology firm, but also runs a separate consulting business, working with business leaders all around the country. He's the author of several different books, has a lot of different expertise, and specifically, he works with insurance brokers, agents, but also business leaders to help them optimize and grow their business while at the same time creating a very balanced and well-lived life. So my guest today, please welcome Dan Malin. Dan, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you very much. Uh, Welcome to Friday. It's it's a Friday and and all all of us are excited about Fridays, right? That's true. That's true. We we have been pumping and pedaling hard all week long and now we're down at the bottom of the hill and we're finally going to get to the coast for a day, theoretically. Theoretically, yes, exactly, right? It, it, the, work, the work simply shifts, but yes, nothing wrong with Fridays. Fridays are good days, so yes. I appreciate you joining me today, Dan. Um, let's uh, let's kind of jump right in. I know um, that having spoken with you, you know, many times in many different forums, you have a very interesting background and career. So obviously, you know, we could spend a lot of time going through each each um, item of of your experience, but maybe just kind of hit the highlights. And what brought you to where you are today? Just a general overview of, of your career. So the, the the short, I think the best place to start is I, I've, I haven't had an entrepreneurial bent since I was 12 or 13 years old. I mean, I started with mowing lawns when I was a kid. Yeah. Um, I spent my college years uh, do, playing soccer and doing theater. And I discovered you can't eat theater. It, it, it doesn't really pay well. <laughs> I wanted to become a banker. And then I, I went to work in a bank, did an internship in banking 1971 and got to go to work in a bank when I graduated from college and the bank almost by accident bought an insurance agency and and the bankers that I was made me a partner, put me in the insurance agency. And I discovered pretty quickly that, you know, the, 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 the commercial insurance space for insurance was a great place to make money and have a living. So I, that's where I gravitated. And that's been almost 50 years ago now that I started. And so, uh, acquired my first insurance agency in, in 1973. Uh, but, the idea here is I was involved in the commercial property casualty insurance business. And the mm-hmm. best part about that is you got to meet and got to be involved in lots of different kinds of businesses, restaurants, farmers, we did aviation, did product manufacturing. We did uh, contractors. I mean, you literally got to see lots and lots of businesses and you could see what, and started to figure out what the common denominators were. So sure. the, being in the commercial insurance space, a, you had to know how to sell. B, you and and because I owned insurance agencies, I had to run insurance agencies, which means you're running a business. Right. And then the third thing, I was doing acquisitions and 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 divestitures. I bought and sold insurance agencies, so I got through that process as well. And and my wife and I, we raised three kids, and at at the ripe age of, I'd been married 26 years. We woke up one day and basically said, "What are we going to do now? We don't have more kids." It's like, whoa, okay. <laughs> And I got involved in a men's group at a, at a big church, and that was during the dot-com eras. And mm-hmm. I had people coming to me in my men's group going, we're, we're trying to run a business. Can you help us? Yeah. And I said, well, and the answer would be, can you buy me lunch and explain what I'm doing wrong? I said, well, what you're doing wrong is not going to be solved over lunch. <laughs> you know, right, you got right. some problems. <laughs> and, and, and what I discovered was there's a lot of great technicians out there that have great technical experience, but and I'll, I'll put it in insurance context, selling insurance and running a business that sells insurance, two entirely different skill sets. Right. 
And so right. what we discovered in the church was there was a bunch of entrepreneurs, people who had, had business like me that had experience. So we put together a, a, a program for people in the church to come and learn how to run a business according to biblical principles. And we started out the very first class. Uh, we had 75 people in the class. The, the church we wow. attended had 8,000 uh, members. So it's 75 people in the first class. And we would we started, it was a four-hour class, and we put together a curriculum, and we did all this. We had 35 people left at the end of six weeks. You know, it's like too much information. It's assimilated. It's just too complicated. Yeah. And over the course of the next three or four or five years, we we actually had some successes through this process. And a number of the guys left and did other things. And finally, it reverted back to me. The challenge I kept having was, Dan, it's too complicated. I'm a small business owner. I'm going to spend my days doing what I do, which is, you know, construction or, right. you know, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm, I'm in real estate. A one-man band, two-man band. I, I want to learn how to scale my business, but I don't have time. So, whoa, time out. So, the challenge was, can you give us something that would show us how to run a business on one piece of paper. I said, that's not possible. <laughs> well, I was proven wrong because ultimately what happened is I developed a model where I have everything to how to run a business on one piece of paper. And it's the Amazing. cornerstone of my consulting practice. Mm-hmm. And, and what I do is I use that and I created a tool where I can go into any kind of a business operationally and I can evaluate whether they're marginally competent, adequately competent or strong at a particular business skill set. Right. And there are nine separate competencies and and I put them in a box. And the box in the middle of the box is your core competency and your core deliverable. And and let's take automobile manufacturing, automobiles for for lack of a better word. They're all in the transportation business. Mm-hmm. But then they have a uh a, a a specific product or service they provide and they have differentiation, they have a value proposition, they have vendors and suppliers, they have a, a unique language. That's the center, that's the core. And that varies from business to business to business. But around the outside of that, and this is why my business is called Weavers, is that you have eight other competencies that are that you have to optimize if you're going to be successful at your center business. And those eight others are planning, sales, marketing, finance, leadership, human resources, systems, and administration. And then I have an assessment where I can look at each one of those nine and I can evaluate on a scale of one to 10 how well each one of those are going. And then we can say, you know, what are we doing badly and where do we need to improve? To an entrepreneur, somebody that they're going to be good at maybe three of those boxes and really bad at three of those boxes. And mm-hmm. what happens in a business as it grows, it is the growth is restricted by the elements that you're not good at. We got people that are amazing salespeople, okay? They do no planning. On a mm-hmm. scale of one to 10, they're a two, okay? We got people that are accountants that can do finance all day long, can't sell their way out of a paper bag. Sure. Okay. Or they don't have a marketing plan. Um, we have people that are amazing salespeople and really good finance people. But when it comes to human resources, they're terrible in terms of how they manage and adapt to their people. And they don't job descriptions. They don't know how to engage people. And then we have people that are extremely good technicians, but they're not very good leaders. They don't, mm-hmm. they don't ever step aside and look at the big picture and have big picture focus. So I, in about 90 minutes, I can go into most businesses and I can assess. So 
part of my model is that I want to know what I'm getting into before I get into it. Because the question when you're consulting is, what's the problem? Right. And trying to figure out the problem, you need to have some kind of a template, a process, et cetera. So um, I use my assessment tool. Um, I go in and I'll charge for using the assessment tool and then I'll identify the problems. And then the client has a couple possible outcomes. Thanks, Dan. Assessment. We'll take care of it from here. Fine. Right. Uh, I'm, I'm out the door. The second possibility is we want to work on this because that's where we're, can you help us with that? Well, maybe mm-hmm. I can, maybe I can't, or I might point somebody at another consultant. It right. could be leadership. It could be sales. It could be something. I can do some of it, but I'm not really good at all of it. So the big picture is I'm good at all of it, trying to evaluate it. And then the last one is, and this is at times, want to, we, we want to make this, you know, a, a project and we know it's going to take at least a year, two or three or four. We, can we hire you on a retainer or in a consulting basis, A, to do a project or B, we just want to put you on a retainer so we can pick up the phone and call you and you can hold us accountable to a process that we need to plan ourselves through. Yep. So it, it does that does that help a little bit about who I am and what I'm doing? I kind of threw it at you in a big lump. No, absolutely. No, it completely does. And and I, I love the I love the the model that you've described with these eight um industry agnostic or totally agnostic uh categories, competencies that that center or that that surround the center core competency, which is the nature of value proposition differentiation. I think that paints a very clear uh sort of visual understanding for any business because certain things are all going to be um done the same way uh or need to be optimized in the same way but that core competency is what is the essence of the business so centralizing that makes perfect sense the other note too that that um i've heard you say before but i think is really um resonant or at least caught me this morning is the nature of uh, of your business model, of how you go in and initially engage with a, a given client. That's the same model that I utilize. And I'm sure a lot of our viewers and listeners at least conceptually utilize the same model. But if they, if you don't, or if you're struggling to identify, if, if a given coach or consultant in the B2B space is struggling to get traction with a new opportunity, the model that, that you just laid out, Dan, is, is fantastic. This idea of going in, and of course, you're right. The question we have to first answer is what is the issue? What's the challenge? What's the problem? What's the opportunity? Um, we can't do that without asking good questions and, and diving a little deep into the business and talking to that decision maker and or their team. So doing that initial evaluation for an initial event investment, which of course, as a rule, is going to be a lower level investment than a larger retainer or, or overall project contract. It allows that business to experience our knowledge and our skill and our authority. In this case, you're taking them through these nine core competencies and doing your 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 evaluation and then delivering the findings of that. Um, in my case, I'm I'm walking them through usually a, a, an authority marketing or authority growth type of evaluation and diagnostic, and then sharing my findings with that. It, it's very easy for a business owner, or decision maker, to say yes to that initial opportunity to work together. And that gives both parties the opportunity to effectively interview one another, right? I mean, yes, you're delivering value along the way, but 
Dan, aren't you uh, assessing that business and determining if that's a business, number one, that you can truly help, but number two, if it's a business you even want to work with? One of the great mistakes I've made is trying to help people that I can't help. And, and, and <laughs> yeah, the reason, me too. And, and the reason is not because of me, it's because of their approach, their attitude, their experience, and their willingness to adapt to what you you know is the right thing to do. I mean, Right. I, I, I'm, I'm visualizing a project that I did for somebody. I finally had to walk away. I mean, at the end of the day, it, it was just, it was an exercise in futility and it, and it really didn't have anything to do with me as much as it sure. had to do. There, there's a, there's another element to what we involve ourselves in, and that is the issue of maturity. So I, I, I manage leadership and, and I have a, a very specific leadership dynamic that I work through and there's nine, nine of those as well. But but we have three kinds of people, the user, the servant and the leader, the user. It's about me. If I've got somebody that's that that is is not willing to be humble enough to learn and listen, then yeah. you're in a flawed environment. It's not going to work. OK, and you have to be able to have the, the courage and the conviction to basically say, you know, what, I don't think I can help you. So, so that's number one. The user, it's about me, the servant. It's about helping others. The leader really is about man- managing the larger reality for the benefit of everybody, not only just the employees, but the vendors, suppliers. I mean, they recognize that they businesses go from survivors to successful to significant. Survivors play defense, successful plays offense, significant coaches the team. The hardest transition mm-hmm. is go from successful to significant because yeah. what you have to do is you have to have the humility to step aside and get people involved that are smarter than you, pay them more money than you pay yourself, and then get out of the way because they're going to do a better job. If I go back to my nine core competencies, one of the things that happened is I I built this model theoretically, and I looked at myself after I got done with it, and I said, is this really accurate? And then what I did is I laid it over the top of some very successful companies, specifically the one I picked with Chick-fil-A. Mm-hmm. And what I discovered was on a scale of one to 10, every one of those boxes was occupied by a senior vice president or somebody who owned that box. And on a, on a, on a competency scale out of 10, they're a 9.5. Yeah. And it was the integration of all of those pieces with competent people and competent processes and systems that allowed that core deliverable. And and what's crazy about Chick-fil-A, the core deliverable is a chicken sandwich. Can you make a chicken sandwich? Absolutely, you can make a chicken sandwich. Can you make $6.7 billion worth of chicken sandwiches? No. It's all about process systems and people. Okay, And it's the collaborative work. And I laid that thing over over Chick-fil-A and I went, dang, I got this right. I mean, I'm actually, I I know now because I see it at work. Right. And literally, I've now put it over the top of, you know, all good, successful businesses. My model actually resonates in every single situation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's great. I'm not smoking funny cigarettes. Yeah. Just, you know, <laughs> I didn't I didn't have a bad day or something like that. It just and it, and it came out. The other part of this is the, is the genesis of watching businesses grow and and. Leaders rise to the level of their own incompetence. Yes. And w- what happens is they think more of themselves than they do of the people around them. Really great leadership involves pe- growing people, not growing businesses. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and people who are not willing to grow people probably are only going to get to c- certain levels and the business is going to die. Uh, yeah, that's a, you, you've had several already, but that's definitely a writer downer. 
growing people uh, is more important than growing business. Um, that's that's where the focal point becomes. I love that. And and so um, obviously you've got this affirmation of, of your business model, uh, sort of this Weaver's model, the nine box model. Um, and it is all focused on, like you said, systems, processes, and people. And you know, if you can optimize each one of those boxes, that that business is going to be successful. Let's talk about, let's kind of dive a little bit deeper here in the coaching and consulting world of, you know, a world that you've done a whole lot of work in. Um, and let's talk about one of those areas. Um, I guess you would know which box it goes in the best, but probably in the sales box, I would guess, in terms of client engagement and how to structure a potential uh, engagement with a client. And the reason um, I want to focus on this is because you have lots of fastballs, clearly, uh, but this is one that we've most recently spoken about. And uh, you're doing quite a bit of work in the insurance space for insurance brokers and agents. Uh, And just for everybody who may not be in that space or familiar with that space, Brokers and agents, as a rule, in the insurance space, are a commoditized um, resource. Uh, you know, you can replace one broker with another broker, another one agent with another agent. That's the perception, and in many cases, unfortunately, it's the reality. Um, so, one of the things that Dan has done in his career and is doing now is helping these individuals go from more of a transactional role, um, where they're literally just helping someone buy something to really more of a consultative role where they're actually able to help a business or an individual transform themselves into a better version of itself. And one of the things that you focus on, Dan, is how to structure a client engagement. I think you're you're just finishing up a piece on this. But yeah, go ahead and speak to that. And we can maybe even get into some of the different types of, of, um, of compensation models that are available, because I think this will be this will be eye opening to a lot of consultants and coaches who may currently just be on the hourly model or the project based model. But go ahead. So you know, there's a lot of different ways to, to to skin a cat, but but at the end of the day, if you're a valid consultant and you have good things to offer, you have a value proposition and you bring value to the table. And if you don't, you're going to get fired anyway. So that becomes a moot point. Right. The real question is how do I convert my value into 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 a billable hourly rate or some kind of a compensation arrangement that makes sense for everybody and the key to that whole is knowing when to walk away and you need to know what's appropriate given the circumstances the way i like to kind of go through this is i see this in in areas i see initially that i look at a feasibility arrangement where i'm going to spend some time trying to dig into the problems and circumstances and situations. Cause I, if I'm on the outside looking in and I haven't asked the right questions, I'm going to make a mistake. And then it, everybody's going to be mad at me, blah, blah, blah. I'm going to get fired. Right. Bad idea. So, so the first thing I do is feasibility. I've done a lot of acquisitions and I, and I work with people who are being acquired and want to acquire. I know how to do valuations, et cetera, et cetera. So the first question is feasibility. In other words, what's the feasibility of what you're trying to accomplish? And I charge for the feasibility piece separately. And then I, I, I do it kind of in, in stages. Or if, if I get past feasibility, I always do a proposal for the next piece, which is engagement on a permanent basis. And the engagement can either be on a project basis or in a retainer basis. Um, and typically, it's a contract that has an out clause for everybody. You know, 30 yeah. days, I can be done. Um, and then... The real cornerstone of it all is the scope of services. Right now, I've just written a a workbook for the insurance industry because they're going to be required to disclose their commissions and and present their value proposition to their client. 
most of those people have been collecting commissions. Now they have to disclose them. So now the question becomes, or, or what's your value proposition to me? So am, I, am, I worth, am I worth the money I'm collecting in the client's eyes? Right. Yeah. And the, and the reality is that they they offer a scope of services that is that to which they are entitled to a level of compensation. Of course. It's between them and the client whether the comp to set the amount. There's a lot of different moving parts to that process, but the question in the client's mind is, I'm going to pay you seventeen thousand dollars over the next twelve months. What are you bringing me? And if right. I'm bringing me something of value, then fine, I'll get no issue with it. But if if I'm if I find out your commission structure is undisclosed, and I just had this conversation this morning, where an, a broker is going to make almost a hundred dollars for every employee, I mean that's egregious. It's you know they're going to make twelve thousand dollars a month, uh, one hundred forty-four thousand dollars. Where the reality is that the their value is probably only somewhere around twenty-five or thirty thousand dollars. Wow. Okay, and wow. what they've done is they've hid they've hidden that that compensation in all kinds of little back end pieces of that insurance contract that the client has no idea about. Right. So there's, so there's some ethics and morality here that goes with this. Sure. But what the cornerstone is, is the scope of services. What's my scope of services and how I got there. And I actually talk about this in the workbook is in the introduction, 1983, I was an insurance broker. I, I had my own insurance agency I wrote the insurance on the local county and I took them out of a, a really messed up program, gave them public officials liability, reduced their workers comp, got the people then jail covered. I mean, I did a lot of things and reduced the cost at the same time. And the county commissioners thrilled, absolutely ecstatic. Yeah. Well, what happens when you do a good job for somebody, word gets out. Okay? And they <laughs> invite, I get invited to an adjoining county by some commissioners who know my commissioners that basically said, hey, we've got a problem because we have all these uncovered claims. What's right. going on? I looked at it and I said, oh, my gosh, you guys got a you got a bird's nest here. This is a problem. I can be your broker. I can. They said, nope, time out. You can't be our broker. Our broker has to live in the county. OK, fine. But would you would you consider doing a consulting project first and helping us to find it? And I said, sure. That was my first consulting contract. Gotcha. And what was amazing was that the amount of money they paid me in 1983 was not insignificant. Right. Okay. They were really pleased with the outcome. The 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 policies got issued, the local brokers got paid, and I got paid. Mm-hmm. Okay. And and it and it turned out to basically everybody won in the situation. But that scope of services that I generated for that particular and and the format that I used for that contract, um, I still use to this day. Wow. Okay. Essentially, what you have is the parties to the contract, uh, the, the an overview of the general service, and then terms and conditions under which where where is your ability begin and end. The terms of of what my limitations are. There's some probably non disclosure information in right. there. There's some indemnification and in, uh, you know joint mutual indemnification, um, and then the jurisdiction. Um, and then how I get paid and when. Okay, it's not terribly complicated. And I've had scope of services arrangements that were three items. And I've had scope of services arrangements that were 40 items. Right. And there's not a right or wrong there. It just depends on what work needs to be done over time, right? Exactly. And the other thing, too, is I've done phases. Okay. When, when, for example, when you're going to get involved in, and I'll give you an example, I got involved in an acquisition 
um, a number of years ago in Virginia, where I, the first the first is feasibility, and what we do is we look at the financials and we evaluate what what's an appropriate amount of money. The agent at some point could say, "I don't want to do that." So you sure. had feasibility, you're done. So phase two then is due diligence. Okay, once we say feasibility, we do a little bit of due diligence and we write a a a, a, a letter of intent based on these terms and conditions. We are willing to buy your agency. Da 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 da. Sure. So that's that's phase two. We get paid for that. If that gets accepted in both parties, now we go dig into the due diligence piece. We do financial analysis. We find out what's there and what's not. I had a, I this arrangement that I made. I, I, the first feasibility part, I didn't have to travel for the second one. I actually had to go do an interviews and I, I did the interviews with the, the agency principals and the producers. That was part of the deal. And as soon as I did the interview, I said, man, we're cutting the price of this thing by at least 50% because it wasn't a good deal. Okay. Bottom line, bottom line was the, the, the producer, the agency paid me about $20,000 over a, over about a four month, five month period of time, because I had to travel back and forth a couple of times. Sure. And he got mad at me because he said, that's a lot of money. I said, listen, I just saved you from making a million dollar mistake. Okay. So what's so that worth? Yeah. Right. Value proposition to perceived consultant. Sometimes your news is not good news. Right. Um, the, the other thing too, is that it, when you find good clients and you keep good clients and, and you help good clients and you create a win for everybody, you've got a friend for life. And yeah. you get great referrals. You get people calling you and saying, hey, can you do this? Or could you do this? Or would you do that? And quite frankly, in my current circumstances, I turned down a lot of business because I just don't have the bandwidth to go take care of it. Right. But um, the the reality is there's a lot of people out there that don't know what they don't know and really are desperate for a good consultant. It's true. But, you know, um, my real core competency is not any one of those those particular areas. It's the integration of all of them. That's why we call it weavers. Yeah. Because it no no two businesses are assembled the same way. Sure. But all the components have to be there. It's like a car without wheels. You don't have the best car in the world, but you put the wrong tires on, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Okay. And, and and if you don't maintain it, you can take good care of it. Sooner or later, it's going to wear out. And then you're sure. going to go, oh, how come this is not working? Well, and then the other pro- part of the problem is. You bought a car, but you needed a pickup. <laughs> right. Now yeah. you get trade in the car and go get a pickup. Because yeah. you're trying to be a contractor and you got a van that's got 700,000 miles on it. Hey, sooner or later, you got to get rid of the van, go find another van, you know? Yep. Yep. Um, well, and so to to continue that metaphor, to, 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 to back out of that metaphor, maybe just for a second, but, but still applies, is these, you know, certain coaches and consultants will come to me and they will have a fantastic core competency, right? They will have a, a good point of differentiation. They'll be clear on their value proposition. They know who they want to serve, but their, their monetary metrics, and what I mean by that, or their monetary model, I should say, is so traditional that the monetary model lumps them in with everybody else, right? In other words, they're a fantastic coach or consultant, but they're just charging a low hourly. Right. And I guess that's if they're if they're happy with that and that's what they want to do, that's fine. But usually a lot of folks come to me and say, is there isn't there a better way? I feel like I'm a commodity. I feel like I'm just trading time for money. And of course, they are (laughs) right at the in the hourly model. So maybe let's break down. You talked about uh, when you're doing a project, you usually break it into stages. Right. These phased approaches. And each one has a, a project fee associated. 
Uh, in certain engagements, it may be an ongoing retainer that can be exited by either party, you know, under certain conditions or within certain timeframes. What, in your experience and what you've seen in the marketplace, uh, both on the insurance side, as well as just being a, a consultant yourself, maybe let's sort of break down the the primary, and there's lots of different models, different compensation models, but maybe let's break down some of those because I know this is an area that you've been doing a lot of work in recently um, and have probably done all of these different models uh, yourself. So there's the hourly model, there's the project-based model, maybe touch on those or a couple of others and the, and the pros and cons. So, so let's start at a very important level and what okay. the consultant needs to know in his own mind, in her mind, whatever they're doing, what's my time worth? Who am I? What are my core competencies? And where do I start? Yeah. Because if you don't know that, then everything else becomes an issue. Now, yeah. the, the second part of the discussion is, where's the long-term opportunity in what I've been offered here by the client? What's the client's problem? And what's the long-term opportunity? I have been known because I can see an opportunity to diminish my initial feasibility fee just to, it's kind of like fishing. You know, I got to get yeah. the guy in the boat. Yep. Once I get the guy in the boat, I can afford I can afford to do my uh, my assessment, and depending on who it is, where it is, what it is, I could charge a nominal fee or I could charge a significant fee. If I think it's going to be a waste of time, I'm probably going to charge a higher fee. If I think there's right. ongoing opportunity behind it, the other thing you're going to do is kind of read the tea leaves. Where is this person in terms of their financial capability, and what do they? What's what's the because somebody is a three-man business that's trying to ele elevate themselves to the next level or go buy a competitor, what are they going to do? They don't have a lot of cash on the front end, so you got to kind of look at that. Right, right. But there's other people that come to me, and, and they got 70, 80, 100 employees, and they're working to try to do an acquisition for somebody else. You know, it, you have to use a little bit of common sense. Right. The second part of it is based, and, and this is kind of when you do the transactions, we were looking at the illustration I gave earlier where I charged that guy $20,000. That acquisition was going to be somewhere between a million and $2 million. Okay. okay. And, it, and in a traditional, if you're one of the big houses that's actually managing acquisitions, you're going to be at five to seven to maybe 10% of the purchase price. Right. I'm not even close to that. In other words, my, my fees are not close to that because I don't have the infrastructure. So at a competitive level, you also need to know who else is against you, who else is in the market, who else is being considered, and how does that play into what you're doing? Good. And then the, the third piece is, you know, we as consultants seem to do a lot of work for free sometimes because somebody likes us to do something. There are other things that are going on in the business that are going to prevent him or keep him from either doing what we're telling him to do, doing what they're telling them to do or cash flow is marginal and they're desperate. Right. You know, desperation is a bad place to go get a consultant. Yep. You know, and, and I prefer to work with people who, who are in growth mode and have, have, a, have some element of understanding about who they are and what they're trying to become. And there's, there are so many entrepreneurs that are totally unrealistic about what they're trying to achieve. Mm -hmm. And you as the consultant are setting yourself up for failure if you take on a client that that is unrealistic in their approach. So, and this, this goes back to the the paramount importance of something like that initial evaluation or assessment piece 
where certainly the client is evaluating you on whether they want to continue to work with you long-term or on a project basis or whatever it may be. But to the point you're, you're precisely making here, it's really important for that, that, cons- that consultant to make that determination as well. Is this uh, a team or an individual organization that I believe I could contribute value to and that I want to work with, right? Or is it going to be more headache than I could possibly charge them money to, to overcome, right? It just may not be something that is a fit and that's okay, but it is important to understand where your right fit uh, and best fit clients are. Well, and th- there's an interesting dynamic here that I, w- when I go back and look at what I co- consider my consulting failures, one of the, one of the consistent characteristics is that there has been more than one decision maker, one more, more than one person with their fingers in the pie. And 80% of my problem is trying to get the two of them to agree. <laughs> right. And, 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 and there are just days where, I mean, I've had one that just turned into a family lawsuit and I was in the middle of it and I ended up in court with, with wow. you know, having to decide between one family member and the other. Wow. I mean, it, it was, it was ugly, very, very ugly situation. And, and, you know, um, when, you really need to be able to clearly distinguish what the what the deliverable and the projected outcome is and figure out at the beginning is it really something that I can achieve do yeah. I my time and effort my my talent and my ability um trying to fix a problem that really is about two people who can't get along right right which I am not a, I am not a psychologist <laughs> you're right okay? you're not a family therapist not, right I don't you know I have good friends that are family counselors and, and family, you know, therapists, et cetera. Uh, lawyers make really bad family therapists. That's not a that's not a good place to go. Right. So, and, right. You know, I, I'm a business operations guy. I am not a psychiatrist, and I'm not going to try to r- resolve a problem that involves two people who can't get along. I mean, I think it's a, I'm going to do. It's an excellent. Try, you know what? Yeah. If that's what you're being assigned to do, you're about 95%, unless you happen to be a psychologist or right. you know, ch- changing people's mindsets and their relationship with one another. And family dynamics are the worst. If you're dropped into a family environment where the where the family's not getting along, hey, those problems existed way long before you got there. Yeah, I know a couple of really good consultants that take on those kind of things, and they're actually quite good at it. Mm-hmm. They get paid big, big bucks. It's a big and problem. What's, yeah. What's yeah. interesting is 90% of the time they get, don't solve the problem. Interesting. Even they get paid, but they don't do it. They don't really ever solve the problem. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's such a, I mean, it's such a foundational problem that that is so personal. It's going to be very difficult for a third party to fix unless the other two parties are truly have an intent to fix it. Right. Ultimately it comes down to that. And you know, what I'm hearing you say is um, be very clear as a consultant be very, very clear. You mentioned what, you know, knowing what you are worth, knowing what your services are worth, knowing what your time is worth, making sure you have those, that clarity around expectation for yourself. But then when you're going into a project, and this is why I like this feasibility stage, even though you're talking about it largely in uh, acquisition mode, you, you can and would do a, you could do a feasibility study for any project, right? How feasible is this result or objective that the client wants to achieve to actually be done within the timeframe they want it to be done? Um, so I think starting with that stage, and of course, that takes the form of an evaluation or diagnostic or assessment like we've talked about, starting there helps the, the consultant manage their own expectations of what's possible. But then they can turn around and manage the client's expectations of what they can do and what's possible. And that becomes 
the what I'm hearing you say is that becomes the parameter and the structure for the contract, for the agreement, uh, for that scope of services and for the time frame, and of course, for the level of investment. So I think this idea of there being tremendous clarity between both parties and managing the expectations on both sides is the easier said than done sometimes. But I think that is really, really critical in terms of, of crafting a mutually beneficial agreement that is less likely to have sticking points or problems in the future. One of the one of the aspects of the scope of services that I use, and that is that the scope of services can be revised and rates and fees can be revised at any time subject to the approval of both parties. Yeah, I like that. I have, I, I have engaged in situations where I, I agreed to do this, this, and this, and all of a sudden other things arrived. Right. And and I and I had to I had to adjust to what we're doing. I have a case for, I have a, a client right now that I'm doing where my, my sole role in the process, this is a young lady running and draw, growing growing her new business, it doing excellent, very, very well. She it, she's just one of those people that needs a sounding board that's not one of her people. And we have a specific set of deliverables that I have, but the the, pri- the primary deliverable is I am available at any time to have a discussion around operational and human resources issues. So she has a sounding board where she can come and ask the question and I can give her answers or, or I can direct her. And for that, she's paying me a retainer. I mean, at the end of the day, of course. It, it's, it, it's just, you know, and my role in that and, and the way I engage her is I have her on my, my basically every two weeks, I, I, I ping her either by, if I haven't heard from her, I basically say, Hey, what can I do for you this week? Yeah. And that's sometimes I'll go two or three weeks and won't hear from her. And then we'll end up with a project that will, will occupy three or four hours of my time. Mm-hmm. And I'm doing something for her uh, where the, the, the fee, the fee is well justified. So of course, yeah, I, no. I get a guilt, I get a guilt comp- complex when I start getting paid for doing nothing. I understand. But, you know, there is value. There is value in just the availability and the accessibility. Right. She she knows that she has your your attention and your in your capacity, your expertise and your capacity if and when she needs it. And that's incredibly valuable. Um, as we come up on time here, uh, one final question. And, and you've alluded to a couple of these things through our conversation. So but but I'll ask the question anyway. You've had an expansive career. You've done a lot of different things. And I'll ask this from a personal standpoint and or professional standpoint. You can answer it either way. Top lessons learned over your over your life, over your career. We could do we could do a half day or full day or probably a whole week on this, frankly, Dan. But uh, maybe just one or two or three things that that you might recommend to um, coach a consultant, someone who's in a professional service person in the B two B space. Um, <clears throat> lessons learned that they might be able to take that wisdom and apply in their own life and business. So. Top lessons learned. Number one is the power of the question. Okay, you you cannot underestimate asking the right question. So intelligence knows the answer. Wisdom knows the question, and and the essence of wisdom is knowing what to ask next. And it's not the first answer or the second answer. You got to ask ten questions, and they got to be sequential, and they got to d- drill down because you really won't know the core issue of the problem until you get enough questions asked. Great. Okay? Um, th- the second thing is that. Um, don't underestimate, don't undervalue yourself. Okay. There's many times where I have, you know, we, who, as I got older and gained more confidence, I realized that 
I had undervalued my capability many times and, and really didn't pursue it. Okay. Yeah. And then, and then the third part is recognize what you don't do well. Right. <laughs> and admit it. Just say, yeah. that's not what I do. And that's not what I'm good at. Okay. Um, and then finally prepare well. You know, I, I got involved in a situation a couple of weeks ago where I screwed it up materially and it and it was my fault because I did not prepare well. Okay. Mm-hmm. And and I and then the other thing is I jumped into the discussion in the middle and I didn't do what I just said to do. And that was the power of the question. Right. I failed to ask the right questions hmm. at the beginning. And as a result, I created a very untenable situation. And it was my fault because I did not take the time uh, to, to do the right homework that I should have done and be prepared to ask the right questions. So, yes. you know, so those are the things, basically the power of the question, make sure you put value on who you are and don't try to do what you're not good at. You know, yeah. that's uh, great. I'm remodeling my house right now. <clears throat> I can do a lot of things. I'm not a plumber. I'm not an HVAC <laughs> guy. Okay. I, I drew the plans. I know what I want. I know where it's going to go. And my wife has been instrumental in the process. Work through people. Work okay? through people. Yeah. Work through people. I mean, they're not, a, you know, one of the, one of my, and I'm known for my Danielisms. And one of those is competence comes at a cost that'll never cost you more than incompetence. Say that again, Dan. I love that. Competence comes at cost. It will never cost you more than incompetence. That's great. Okay. I I, I could go political here in a minute, but I'm not going to. <laughs> <laughs> sure, sure. Of course. Yeah, of okay. course. Yeah. That's a that's a that's a right garden. <laughs> that is a right garden. Well, the other the other the other Danielism that that there's a number of them, but one of them is arrogance always magnifies ignorance. Yes, I love that one as well. Yeah. Arrogance always magnifies ignorance. And I, you know, the, how I got to that one was kind of an interesting conversation, but it, surprisingly enough, it involved an insurance broker. <laughs> surprisingly in them. Uh, Dan, this has been fantastic. This is, there's so much wisdom uh, and sure. intelligence that throughout our conversation today. I've got another two pages of notes, just like I generally do every time we talk. Uh, thank right. you so much for taking the time, sharing some knowledge and some expertise. If someone wants to uh, find out more about what you're doing or learn more about Weavers or just engage with you, um, what's the best way? Is there a way that so, they could reach out to you? Weaversonline.org. Okay. Weaversonline.org is my website. I'm about to put up another website called thepath.biz. That won't be live until sometime later in the fourth quarter. Mm-hmm. Um, and then... Uh, D Malin at weaversonline.org and my phone number is there 719-338-6466. Hey, I'm always open to conversation talking to people about what they're trying to accomplish and uh, I am uh, I'm I'm actively em- employed at the moment as a senior vice president of a technology company and I'll probably be here another 2 to 3 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, once I retire, I fully in- expect to expand my consulting practice and because I just enjoy people. I sure. enjoy solving problems and the, the market we find ourselves in these days is is ripe for good quality consultants to go out and really help people. And so uh, and I don't want to throw away 50 years of wisdom and experience. I got, you know, plenty to offer. And it, it, we we in our generation can solve a lot of problems for people if they're willing to sit still and listen yeah. and have, yeah. have a little humility. But uh, it, it, there, there's plenty of opportunity. So. Anybody would like to chat, I'm open to a conversation. 
That's phenomenal. Thank you, Dan. We'll be sure to include that information too in the show notes for the podcast uh, episode as well. Uh, Dan, thank you so much again for the generosity of your expertise and your time. And uh, again, another wonderful conversation. I'll look forward to the next one. Very good. Thanks, Scott. Appreciate All right. it. Thank you. Appreciate everyone watching and listening to this episode of Consulting with Authority. This is Scott Cantrell, as always, wishing you the best of success. Thank you for listening. I hope you got a ton of value out of this episode. And before we go, I want to thank the sponsor of our show, Smart Solutions Media. Smart Solutions Media empowers business owners, consultants, and other independent professionals to easily attract better prospects and transform them into long-term clients. If you're a B2B consultant or service professional and would like to start filling your pipeline with better quality prospects, visit us on the web at smartsolutionsmedia.com to learn more about what we can do to help you. Be sure to complete this short two-minute accelerated growth scorecard you can find on the website and you'll receive a complimentary strategy session where we'll give you specific insights and recommendations to help you attract high value clients. Until next time, make sure you are consulting with authority.